goal is simple, to help you achieve the dream and vision you first had when you thought about starting a business. We're here to make growing your business less complicated. There are building blocks to build a sustainable business. We promise to seek them out and address them all. The Better Your Business Show starts now. Good morning and welcome to the Better Your Business Show. I'm Natalie, your host, financial strategist. With me this morning, we have the beautiful Shanna Mavis, executive business consultant. Good morning, everyone. Um, super excited to be here. But I, I want to say, a, you know, just a warm welcome to all of the business owners out there. We know that if you're here, um, you're a business owner and you're, if you're a business owner, you're a visionary. So you have goals, you have dreams, and you have the commitment to achieve them. But what you might not have and why we're bringing this show to you is to provide you access to experts who will help you grow your business without falling prey to the mindset that you have to fail to succeed. Um, we truly believe around here that failure is not required. Yes, that is right. So whether you are joining us live or watching the replay, make sure you go to Pillar5.com, take your free business assessment, see where your results are, come back to the show, and let's chat about how you can shift and improve those results. Yes, um, and I know I say this every week, but I'm super excited <laughs> about the guests that we have today. Um, I, I just I, I've known him for a while. You know, it's been a, a few years. And, you know, when I met he and his wife, I was just so impressed with their character. And, you know, the more I got to know the two of them and, you know, just work with them on a couple of different things. It, it was just it was interesting to see how they were growing their business, looking at the processes that they were setting in place, looking at, you know, just all that they're doing to help people around them. They have this desire to serve others. So it's just, it's amazing. And I've been so excited, you know, at the idea of him coming on the show and sharing wisdom. And so, um, yeah, I think everyone's in for a treat that's going to be here or that watches the replay. Awesome. Uh, I'm excited uh, too. And it's uh, funny because I always think, gosh, every show I say I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> But I am super excited for a couple of reasons. First off, is we are talking about money and finance today, which we know I love to talk about, right? The other thing is our guest expert is a lot of fun. And so that always makes it nice too. He's a lot of laughs. And so I'm really looking forward to spending time with him this morning. So we have J.R. Wheeler. He is the founder of Simplify Enterprises. He has been a financial consultant close to a decade now. And we're going to be talking about mindset and strategy behind money. So if we could break bring in J.R. Wheeler to the studio. What's up, ladies? <laughs> J.R., good morning. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you all so much for having me. Yes, we are so excited to dive deep into money this morning and mindset. Uh, mindset when it comes to even just our private, our personal finances, mindset when it comes to being a business owner, which I know that you help consult in both those areas. So um, I'm curious, let's just start with what made you get into finances? What made you get into the industry? 
I, if I'm just being 100% transparent, it was a, a ministry becomes your, uh, excuse me, a misery becomes your ministry moment for me. I was broke and needed help with my money. And so I looked for a mentor that would help me along the way and actually guide me there. So I actually was, I got into the industry and I was one of those broke financial advisor types that you see out there all the time. So that was actually what got me into it is I needed help and people helped me. And that's how I learned. Awesome. And I know you're in business with your wife. Yeah, she's the better half. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. She is pretty amazing. <laughs> you just have to meet her and you love her. Um, she's so down to earth and just such a kind heart. She's such a giving person. So, yeah, he lucked out. He, he's very blessed. <laughs> I always say it's the best sales uh, job. The best sales gig I ever did was convincing her to marry me, right? <laughs> Uh, I closed that one and I still can't believe it to this day. You know. Aww, that's so sweet. So tell me, I know that when we were chatting earlier, um, your, your niche is using life insurance as a tool and strategy. And we talked about that and we're going to go into that this morning. But something that you and I both connected on is how much we like to talk to people about budgeting. <laughs> or sorry, intentional spending is the new language, right? Intentional yes. spending, which I love. Thank you for that. Um, and I do think it's important. It's funny because I had one of my friends reach out to me because I was talking about intentional spending on a live I was doing. And she goes, you need to stop talking about that. You don't get paid to teach people how to, how to intentionally spend. <laughs> and people are going to think that's what you do for a living. And I was like, I, I feel you. But at the same time, that's the foundation to all of it. If we're not knowing where our money's going, if we're not being intentional to it, nothing else matters. The investments aren't going to stay that all that stuff isn't going to work. So let's chat about that. <laughs> 100%. No, and, to, and to your point there, the, you know, the investments don't stick. And that was one of the things I learned early in my career is it's like, man, why, why can they not afford their life insurance this month? Why are they not able to do X, Y, and Z? Why aren't they achieving it? And why do I feel like we've started over all of a sudden? People get stuck in these cyclical ruts, whether it's they do it on purpose through self-sabotage or whether, and that's a mindset thing, right? That sometimes we as financial consultants have to break through. But, you know, the idea of intentionality versus reactivity, I, I found that most people aren't doing it on purpose, but, though in the credit repair space, people really do hurt their credit to fix their credit, to hurt their credit. That's a weird thing <laughs> I found out in the, uh, but in most cases, the financial hurt that happens is something bad happened to a good person. And they were trying to be reactive and it set them back and they had to take out from their 401k or they had to take out for whatever it may be. And they couldn't do this thing that was really helping them. And so intentionality is the answer to not having to ever, if you're intentional up front, you don't have to be as reactive as much. That's what I found there. So, Yeah. And it's much more peaceful, right? To be intentional versus reactive. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. No, I, a lot of my clients will say that my, um, <laughs> my, my plan is really called a swan plan. If you follow along on any of my socials, you might catch me say that from time. Just means sleep well at night. That's a way you don't have to worry about it. If you sleep well at night with what you have going on, you don't have as much uh, FOMO either, which is a big thing. So with fear of missing out for those who don't know. <laughs> Are you so, a millennial there? I am a millennial, yes. <laughs> So I have to jump in here because you guys are both financial experts. And so I feel like this is the perfect opportunity to ask a, a different question about budgeting. I mean, or intentional spending, however you want to say it, it really doesn't matter. It comes down to understanding where your money is going and, and being, you know, intentional about that. But I, I went through a process recently with one of the clients that I work with and, and 
They're trying to figure out how do I budget? You know, where do you start? And so that's one of the things that, you know, I would love to expound on for any business owner out there that we all recognize the importance of it. You know, everyone is telling us this, you've got to have a budget, you've got to have, you know, or you've got to be intentional about that. But where do I start? How do I know how to budget for a project or budget for marketing or budget for or intentionally spend in this way? How 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 do I start this process? And so either of you on my left or my right can take this away. I, I'm happy to hear from everyone. Ladies first. Okay. Yeah. Okay, sure. Um, so I would say personally, I believe awareness is the first step to change. So the first thing that I always tell my clients to do is start writing down their daily spending so they can see where their money's going. That's usually where the biggest challenge is because once we find out where is all their money going, then we can start to shift. We can get rid of things they may not need anymore. Um, I know for myself, when I first started doing that, I was spending so much money on food, mostly going out to eat drive throughs you know, grabbing an ice cream. To me, I was mortified. I was like, wow, I can't believe it was a mortgage payment on what we were spending on going out to eat. So that was a huge awareness for me. And that was an easy shift, really. I just stopped going out to eat so much. But seeing where that is, seeing where they're spending, being aware, and then making those shifts on that. And I'd like them to write down, <laughs> maybe it's because I'm not a millennial. And so I would always write down daily. Um, and that's just how I would do it. But I like that awareness of where I was spending money and actually taking the habit of going, you know, because we're so an automatic pilot. It wasn't, I wasn't thinking about it when I was hitting that drive through to get my son a dip cone leaving school, right? It's just an automatic thing. But how often do those things add up? Or we're at the park on Saturday, I'm grabbing a couple Gatorades and a couple bags of chips, right? Those things were really adding up in my budget. And that's what I found from that. And that's what allowed me to shift. And then getting rid of like subscription stuff like that. I didn't need anymore. That was a big one too. Okay. That's my starting JR. <laughs> okay, good. And so and I love that because the awareness, that's actually how I personally did my finances. Laurie knew once a month I was going to grab a pen and a piece of paper and just write down everything like that. Uh, and it frustrated her to death at the very beginning of our marriage. And now, she, now that we've kind of learned to automate some of those systems, which is nice, um, she doesn't have to worry about that conversation as much. But uh, now that we know better, we do better, which is cool. I, I want to take it to a different level. I usually start the conversation of budgeting or intentionally spending with you have to make money first. That's where I usually start, especially with business owners. I go, are you generating revenue? If the answer to that question is no, it doesn't matter what you budget a project at because you're probably not in a place where you can actually pay for the project that you want to budget for. And that's one of those things that a lot of people, they, they put the cart before the horse. But let's say that you're an established business. Right. And you have revenue that you can count on on a consistent basis. One of those things that you look at is you go, OK, do I have any history in the past? Because I think, um, Shannon, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the, one of the hearts of the question uh, for a business owner is like, where do I start to bid a project or where do I start to bid um, this initiative, like a marketing campaign or some of these things that we may spend money on? Is that right? Is that kind of what I'm getting from that? Yeah, I, I love both answers. But, yes, I'm, I'm curious about the business owner side. I have never done this before, right? I've got to create, you know, I've got to do my marketing or what's, what am I going to budget for social media or this event? How much should I budget for that? How much should I set aside for that? Whether I'm making money or not, I've got to do these things. So help me understand where do I start? I love that. Okay, good. So let me start at the very, very beginning. If you have no money, <laughs> 
What are the free, uh, the free things? If it's free, it's for me. I always tell people that that's where you start. You got to generate revenue eventually because that's the lifeblood of your business. I always say reader, reader, reader. <laughs> revenue is the answer. R-I-T-A. Revenue is the answer. And so if you aren't generating revenue, you're brand new, you're fresh out of the gates, you just got an idea. There's a lot of help that you can get out there and as far as free resources, but you don't get to pay other people for it just yet. Unless you have like, say, let's say 20 bucks and then you can get started somewhere, right? But the question is, okay, so let's say you have to do social media. Well, you can't probably can't afford to hire a social media manager yet. So guess who your social media manager is? You. And you go, well, how much is my time worth? Well, you're the business owner. So you're probably not worth very much just yet because your business has zero in revenue. And so again, one of the things that I would say is like, how do you budget these things? Realistically, be very real with where you are. A lot of us like to get this big head because we have the title of CEO now. You're the CEO of a company with zero employees. Good for you, bud. Let's step it back and go, what can I do that is legitimately within my reach? And let's, let's start small, think big and scale quick. I'll say that again because that's a big one. You start small. It, I've heard stories of people starting a business on, say, Amazon selling books, and he started with $10 in his pocket and not even a dream of what it could be. And now he's the largest bookseller on Amazon, which is ironic. And I can go off on that later that, you know, Amazon started selling books, but now they're having a shortage of books and need more people. I digress. You look at this and you go, start small. He had 10 bucks. And so he goes, I want to sell books on Amazon. So he went to Goodwill, bought two books. And one of them sold for $23. Now, $23 isn't going to make you the end of the world, but now your budget's bigger, isn't it? And so we went back to that exact same Goodwill, bought four books this time. Went back after two of those books sold. He made $137 his first week doing that cycle. He started with 10. Now he's got 137. That is stupid good margins, by the way. And so then, again, start small. Think big. He's like, man, I could maybe one day pay for a car note with this. That's what he thought. Well, he quickly scaled to that size. And then he's like, well, now what am I thinking? What's big thinking even mean? It's all relative to where you are, right? Maybe big thinking for you is to get five clients this week, while there are other people who's thinking big would be 500 clients. So be realistic with where you are. And budgeting comes naturally. It's like, okay, I can't afford nothing. I have a $0 budget. Sweet. Well, don't expect $1,000 results unless you have that skill set. Does that make sense? And so... The heart of it is just to always be real with where you are on the business side, especially. And that's kind of where it works. After you have a track record, then you get to be retrospective and go, okay, what am I doing now? And that changes the way you move forward because you actually have a track record of success. But if you're just starting out, just start small, think big and scale quick because your budget of zero, it's pretty easy to budget on that one. It's like, I can't afford anything, so I got to do it all myself. <laughs> I love it. And I yes. feel good. I feel good about steering them in that direction. So um, I think everything that I've heard from you over the years has, you know, it's coming out. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a, a challenge for a lot of business owners is not knowing where to start. You know, we, we typically, and that's one of the reasons that we love, you know, Pillar 5, obviously, um, is because it helps, it gives them a starting point. It gives them something to do. Um, because like you said, you were distracted. There were a lot of distractions that were going on uh, and it's hard when you're, it's just you, but looking at and seeing here's the next three things that I need to do. Um, it gives me this place to go and, and resources to seek out. Um, so it, I love that it's 
thinking, <laughs> I guess, that you have to think about that. But starting small, because we all have these no problem thinking big. I don't know any entrepreneur that has a problem thinking big. It's the starting small that that seems to be the challenge because they want to match their thinking without the, that budget, without the revenue, without any money. And then it's frustrating when you can't get the results that you're looking for. So sound advice, JR. Okay. Well, it makes me think having an elephant one bite at a time. Yeah. 100%. Right, that's that's just the game. <laughs> yes. But I'm gonna eat that whole elephant. I promise you that. <laughs> just be realistic, right? And um, something especially if you if you're a startup listening to this, and you're like, I'm just getting out there. I'm a startup. I'm brand new, baby, baby. Like the thing that you want to think about is also don't lose your your core. Like, what is your main thing? And keeping the main thing, the main thing, will help you be intentional in the budget. That's the big thing because too many people, the way they start losing revenue to silly frivolous things is they try to expand too quickly into things that really aren't going to matter as much as their core. It's like, what is, what is it that you do? And as long as you can keep that clear, the, it really does work out in the long run. So keep the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's interesting because right now with a lot of clients that I'm working with, they have a lot of, discretionary income. So the challenge isn't the cash flow, but the challenge is, is they think all this money is going to keep coming in. <laughs> so getting them, so it's still the same, Shanna, it's kind of why I'm bringing up, right? So still kind of getting them to slow down, prioritize that relationship with money, the things that they have to put in place. It still has to be a priority, whether you have zero money coming in or seven figures coming in, Right. I've shared this story, I think, a couple times now. I had a seven-figure client that had a $49 a month JR. It was a $49 a month term insurance policy. And it uh, lapsed every month because their bank account went, uh, yeah. And so finally, I just said, hey, maybe you need to think about where your priorities are. Because if I have to call you every month to pay your $49, right? <laughs> You make seven figures, right? So, goodness, and I wish I could say that's not as common, but that's what again. I think I told y'all this before we got started. It's like the thing that got me into like this whole search for wisdom here was why are these people not able to pay for their policies? Why are they having lapses? And I'm like, this is crazy that you can make seven figures and be basically paycheck to paycheck. People don't realize that. Mm -hmm. So, Jr., I'm glad you said those words because you talked about, you know, not living paycheck to paycheck. That was one of the um, I think you did. Uh, you were on TikTok, right? I am so, on TikTok. <laughs> talk about that, you know, because that's something whether you're a business owner or not, you know, because we not all of our audience, I'm sure, are business owners. You know, they have some interest in it. But how how do you prevent yourself from living paycheck to paycheck in this short amount of time that you have to tell us before we go to break in 11 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it doesn't take me that long to, uh, to give you the cliff notes. So uh, on TikTok, if you do follow me on there, my goal is to always have less than a minute long video. So that way you can, you can, you know, catch it while you're on in the bathroom, whatever it may be, wherever you watch your social media, I want to be there for you for a minute and then give you some parting wisdom. So if I was to simplify it down, the whole concept of what I like to call intentional spending plans is that intentionality is more important than reactivity. So if you're living paycheck to paycheck, 
oftentimes it's reactive things that are hurting you not um you know and it's not like you're intentionally living paycheck to paycheck now there are outliers out there that may be watching this that you're really doing it on purpose like you like being broke so that way you have this ability to tell others that you're broke but eventually that sucks so you should stop doing that if that's you uh, but if you're like the majority of people you're just you're accidentally falling into this trap of oh my gosh i don't have enough uh, i have too much month left at the end of the money as a another financial guru said for decades now and so the so that's tip number one be intentional as opposed to being reactive there's i've put out plenty of content on there and i can go into that in as much depth as possible probably not in 11 minutes uh because of how in depth i can get on that but the second thing is simply put you have to protect your money from yourself oh oh darn <laughs> most of us we blow so you're like but jerry you said it's reactive yeah that's right you react to being depressed and so you go on amazon that's reactive. <laughs> you, I said I made a very short, like seven second video the other day that says, I don't know who needs to hear this, but stop buying crap to make yourself feel better about being broke. You know, <laughs> like, dude, man, like, I don't always shoot myself in the foot, but when I do, <laughs> you know, that's one of those things that I say that with a, like a, a smile on my face because I know it's heavy, right? And so most of the time, we if you can create a system that protects your money from you, that's good. So what I always encourage people to do is set up a system where whatever money comes in, goes into a bills account. All those bills are as automated as possible. You take care of your long-term savings, your short-term savings. All that is automated before you ever get a dime to spend. And when you do, when there's money left over in that account, it goes into a spending account. And people go, dang, Jared, that's, that's a lot of work. Absolutely, it's a lot of work. But that separation of church and state, if you will, where you're separating your bills from your spending is huge because a lot of my clients at the very beginning, they would buy something for their kid, right? And then all of a sudden there wasn't rent money. And it was right. like, do I pay my life insurance? Do I pay my investments? Or do I pay my kid? And this intentionality goes a long way. And I'll tell you this, being intentional in your finances leaks over to other things in your life. Because once you don't have to worry as much about what your money's doing, like, could you imagine how nice it would feel to only have to worry about making money and spending money and all the rest is already taken care of automatically? That's my plug for being intentional with your money because that's how it works. You just go, man, I just have to go to work and then blow money? I could do that. <laughs> And then having systems in place to make sure that the future you, like I love using future you because, you know, a bunch of my clients are younger. Um, you know, future you is broke right now. They need money. They're trying, they can't work anymore. They're too old, <laughs> you know, and what, well, how much money does future you have? Can they buy a sandwich? No. Well, that sucks. <laughs> and so make sure that future you is getting fed. You are your most important bill every month. So you should pay that future you first. Short term you. Hey, Next month, whenever you want a house payment or when you want to put a down payment, have you already set that aside? And so by starting with the savings first and people's plans, I don't know how I got to this here, but I think it's the logical evolution, right? You got to separate. So here's the two things. You got to separate your money out and protect your money from you. And by separating it out far enough to where it makes it really inconvenient to get to your savings, this is huge on intentionality because now if you blow it up by being reactional accidentally, Let's say that you, it's, you know, it's what, it's the 16th of day and your spending accounts at zero. That's going to really suck for the next couple of weeks, won't it? <laughs> and you're like, but if it takes you three days to get money out of your, your, you know, savings, that's at a completely different bank and it's online. So you can't even like walk in there. That's going to be a little bit of a reality check that you go, man, I don't want this to happen ever again. 
And that's how a lot of clients, the first month or two is setting up a system like this and protecting your money from you. It may be painful for the first 90 days or so. But after that, psh, I have clients that their issue when we have like reviews is that they have too much money in their checking account. And they're like, what the hell do I do? I'm like, well, now you can invest. <laughs> now you have money, man. Now you can actually do cool things. <laughs> and, I, and then I go, hey, remember to tell your friends that because uh, they'll say, why the hell do you have too much money? <laughs> I'll be like, uh, that guy, JR. Um, and that's the way that works. <laughs> so most of my business is built through word of mouth, which kind of goes through the, you know, that's free advertising. I may put a few emails out, spend a little bit of money to remind my clients that they're doing better than everyone else. But that's one of those things, right? And so again, intentionality is way better than reactivity and you got to protect your money from you. That's the two big takeaways there, if I was to say it myself. Yes, I love that. It, um, I loved how you hit on, well, first thing, how you said, well, JR, that's a lot of work, right? To be intentional with their money. Well, working is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> scramble of, that's a lot of work, right? Just putting those, getting in place and then you don't have to do as much work. But something that really just hit me in that moment when you said that as you were talking about, well, we were talking about how it goes into other areas of your life. And um, then I all of a sudden I got Simplify Enterprises because I've, I've noticed that I've been doing this uh, 18 years now. I've noticed that as my relationship with money has gotten better, absolutely my life has gotten more simple. I um, I consider myself, even though probably by definition of a minimalist, I'm probably not, but I consider myself more of a minimalist. I have quality versus quantity. I take much, much better, better care of my stuff. I value it more. I don't want to buy this item over and over again. I want it to last me 20, 30 years or whatever, right? Not every item, but staples. And that's changed because my relationship with money has changed before it wasn't that way. 100%. And this is something, so if you're on the older category and you want to speak to the next generation um, about money, one thing I'll encourage you is that, let's say you have kids that are coming out of college, a lot of the next generation has inspired me of this because the minimalist movement is actually on fire in the Gen Y and Z generations where they go, man, what can I do differently to where I'm not as strapped? And so you see a lot of the tiny home movement coming out of the millennials. You'll see people that, you know, they like, man, they came out of college, got a great job, bought a huge house. And then now they're like, man, that, that wasn't the best financial move. Yeah, I made a, made, made a little bit of money, but man. Like, this is crazy. Why not? Why do I need all this? You know, I'm yeah. buying things that I don't like to impress people I don't like. And yeah. it doesn't feel good, right? <laughs> or I'm buying things I don't need to impress people I don't like. What's this all about? And so I love that. No, the minimalist movement is 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 on fire right now. And that's, again, there's a movement called fire, right? Financially independent, retire <laughs> early. Yeah. If you can get down to your needs instead of your wants, that's that helps that happen a lot easier. So I love it. Yeah, well, even what's going on with um, NFTs and, you know, the EFTs and crypto and all that stuff, too. I mean, the mindset's just completely different for that generation. Oh, 100%. And don't get me started on that because I upset crypto boys all the time. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to upset anyone. Well, you do. Um, I I, I think you you actually live for it sometimes. I've never met anyone more ready for a debate. But one of the things that I, I thought about when you were saying, you know, is it a lot of work? And both of you called this out. But it it's a lot of work regardless, because if you get yourself into a mess, it's going to be a lot of work getting yourself out of that. You know, and I know from personal experience, you know, it's just if you're not intentional about it, you're going to work one way or the other. I would rather work 
to set up systems so that I don't have to worry than to work after I'm already worried and, and working during that worry, you know, and you're never going to catch up. And so it's just like, which side of that you're going to work one way or another, you know, in order to keep your money or make sure that you're financially stable. So where do you want to put that? Do you want to put that digging yourself out? We know that, and that's being reactive. I have no choice but to react in some way, shape, or form. So now, you know, but I'm reacting to be intentional. So it's just, you're just saying, be intentional so you don't have to worry about that. And I love that because you're going to have to put some work in one way or another. The way that you're describing is going to be so much more beneficial and will last a lot longer. It's sustainable. It lasts a lot longer. So I, I, I love that you're, what you're saying and bringing this wisdom. It's exactly what people need to hear. And with that, we want to go to a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. We are with J.R. Wheeler, Simplify Enterprise, and we are talking about money. in the chapter that you wrote. Erroneously, business owners believe that they are required to wear every hat in their business. Oh. I want to challenge that erroneously because let's think about this as startups. We are wearing every hat in the business. So Bad move. <laughs> Bad move. So the first thing we have to understand when we're going to decide to build the business is what does it look like at the end, right? And we build backwards. It's like going through a maze. You always want to start from the center and work your way out. It's a lot easier, right? So if you're building a business and you know the goal is to build a business and not a revenue generation job for yourself. Okay. First, you have to come to that equation. Do I want to do this by myself and just make money? I could tell you there's no one person registered company on the stock exchange, Fortune 500 company. You understand all the law around business. You understand everything around CPAs, accounting, bookkeeping, tax law, marketing, social media. I see ESC, it, I see community, I see connectivity, I see from the business owner and from those who are involved that, you know, you don't have to do it alone. It's a safe place where I know that we have the same goal and vision where we're, our intent is to help people. That's what we're going for first and foremost. And whatever happens is right, the results of that. But our goal is to help people first. I think the core values is each component of that's coming to the table here. Each brand is a core value of ESC. It's a joining together of everybody. Do what our job is, support each other and be business partners to each other. To me, that's priceless. When Mike said, I feel, I've been waiting for this for the 12 years, I'm with you, Mike. I feel like this is the moment that all this is built up is to this moment. And so it's just super exciting. If people are looking for solutions, they're, they're wanting to go into one place to support them in all kinds of different areas. And I see this as being revolutionary. It's just going to benefit so many people in such a profound way. There's a huge benefit across the board in ways that we don't see, but we all benefit 
when we all succeed. I see a new, a new beginning. I see fertile ground for entrepreneurs. This is a group of people that is coming together to make that happen and then to multiply that. Um, so yeah, we need you. We need everybody to be part of this. Our goal is simple, to help you achieve the dream and vision you first had when you thought about starting a business. We're here to make growing your business less complicated. There are building blocks to build a sustainable business. We promise to seek them out and address them all. The Better Your Business Show starts now. All right. We are back. And we had that awesome clip from the ESC, which is our uh, accelerator program. So if you are going through, if you are in the ESC group on Facebook and you're going through the 21 Day Fast Start Challenge, You'll get 10 points for watching the show today and putting what is your biggest takeaway from the show today. So 10 points when it comes to the challenge. Um, if you're familiar with ESE, you can join our group on Facebook. It is a 12-month accelerated challenge that has been put together by I Do Systems. Right here at the show, we have I Do Systems, the U Brand, and U Define Wellness. We put together a 12-month accelerator program to help businesses. It's a lot of fun. It's awesome. Join the group. It is popping. Lots of free stuff going on there today. And we also have um, lives going in there, giving information. We have a couple going on this afternoon. So join our Facebook group community. I love it. We are with Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? Can I just say something real fast on it? What made me think of we had Carlson, you and Carlson talking, right? And then we went into ESC. I know I should not share the stuff that I watch on TV over the weekends. I'm like, I should be embarrassed. But I was watching... Um, Bling Empire. Have you guys heard of that? Bling Empire on Netflix? I heard. I've never seen it. So it's, um, they're local, which is one of the reasons why I watch them. So um, one of the families that are on the show, they're billionaires. They're right here in Newport by me. And so I was checking them out. But he was talking about how they were talking about he owns 28 businesses, 28. And he started his first one in 1969. They manufacture toilets. All I could think of was Pillar five. <laughs> How do you have 28 businesses like that? Yeah. Right. How do you do it? You can't do it unless you have a sustainable process, scalable. And I just kept thinking that's what pillar five is. And it got me just even more excited. So <laughs> that's what yeah. we do. And you can't do it alone. That was one of the things I, I crack up every time I see that um, little ad with Carlton and I, because I remember having that conversation with him and he, um, it's, it's like having a conversation with JR, honestly, because <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to challenge this statement that you made because I see all of these people and they're wearing all of the hats. Now I'm not saying that's sustainable, but tell me how to avoid this. You know, how do we go beyond this? Um, and so it's just, it was funny because there was one point that Carlton was just like, no. And I'm like, don't, don't say no to me. You know, tell me, how to <laughs> explain this to me. Uh, because I want to be able to help as many people as possible because we are wearing those hats. You know, JR, you talked about it earlier with no budget. You are the one doing your social media, but that's not sustainable. You can't right. grow a Fortune 500 company if you're the one doing your social media, you're the one doing your sales, you're the one doing that. So how do you help your clients get beyond that, um, you know, start generating the revenue to bring people in? How do you help them with that? That's a great question. And so, <clears throat> so here's the thing, and I go back to it always. And this is something I learned from my very first mentor. I was 20 years young. Um, I was one of those guys making six figures at an early age. And 
it's it's funny because Rita back then meant something different to me in that business specifically, but it always came back to the same reason, which is Rita is all about revenue. Revenue is the answer, right? And so something I was having a conversation with one of my uh, my clients last night, and because we're talking about risk management, and there's a risk that a lot of business owners don't think about, which is the hesitancy to once you have revenue to want to hoard it. And not, and then you, it's crazy that the more someone has, the more conservative they get with it sometimes. And I see this in business owners where they refuse to, uh, because it's working, they don't want to mess with it. And I get that. I understand. I've been there because you get to a place where you're like, man, this is finally going good. I can breathe and relax a little bit. And I want to let you know that until you're truly where you want to be at, and even then, you never want to stop having a growth mindset when it comes to your business. You never want to get too complacent because that's how the businesses of the last age that were Fortune 500 companies, that's why a lot of them don't exist anymore is because they got complacent and they rested on their laurels. And so one of the biggest risks that you run now that you have revenue that you're trying to expand upon and you're trying to think big, never be afraid to make the investments. You know, my client, I was like, uh, she's like, man, the business account keeps growing. I'm like, oh, you poor thing. <laughs> and she she laughed at that. I'm like, you really suck at sucking. Because I ran her projections based on the investments that she would be at a break even at uh, three months into our coaching. And she is 100% growth compared to where she was. And I laugh about that because she also invested um, as much as she grew, if that makes sense. So I was like, man, you would have doubled up in your business bank account if you hadn't made these investments, which would feel good, but you've still grown as you're making investments into your business, right? And so that's one of the things that I'll tell you is that always be willing to make the hard choice uh, and the sacrifice to lay down a little bit and go, all right, what do I need to do to actually keep growing and never rest on your laurels? Because if you do that, it gets really, really rough in the long run. It may feel good today to get a little bit of extra sleep, but I promise you that will not help you um, maintain your uh, maintain your growth and stability. Uh, I'm not sure if that answered your question, but I think I, I touched on a few things you might like. And you did. <laughs> and yes, it, it answers my question to a certain extent that I'm, I, I guess if I look at um, people as investments, right? Mm. And I think that's the challenge that many, many business owners face. It, you, you're, you're right. I'm making money. Things are, are going well. I, I feel like that's a short-sighted way of looking at it. I should be investing in my team or finding a team in, in some way, shape, or form, because I cannot grow this business by myself. That's huge. And that's actually, that actually touches on my second point for that client last night, which was there's investments in your business very often. Um, she lives in a place and she works her business, which is flourishing, is in a space that doesn't have a talent pool like a Metroplex would. And so her biggest issue right now of scaling is that it takes about two years to train someone to where they can actually be self-sufficient in her business. It's a skill-based thing. And without people to actually do the work of the business, it's almost impossible for her to scale beyond where she's at. And she has some pretty lofty goals now that she realizes that, you know, she may have started small. Now she's thought really big and she's trying to scale quick. And she realizes that quick for her business actually means two years. And that's one of those things that is a realization to go, dang it. 
And then, you know, a lot of business owners like to complain about their employees. And I would like to say to you, if that's you, that your employees are, are a mirror of the business owner. So if they suck, my bad. <laughs> your people are the best investment you can make. And investing in yourself, finding a way to grow yourself so you actually have a bigger capacity is good for them too. So never be afraid to invest in yourself. Like the human resources, never be afraid to invest in them because they will pay you back tenfold if you if you do it efficiently. So yeah, part of that too, Shannon, is what is the goal for the business? Is the goal for that business for them to sell it at the end of the day? Is it just for them to, you know, is it to leave it to their legacy? Is it just to override that book of business? I mean, that was one of my biggest takeaways from starting this show, right? Our first show with Sharon Lecter when I read Exit Rich, I was like, wow, my business right now will never, I'll never be able to sell it. Is that what I want? And the answer was no. And so I was glad because I was able to shift faster. I had that clarity. Maybe that's where your client's at right now, JR. Maybe that she's like, you know what? Maybe I'll add another business or something. But that's, um, I think that's part of that, Shad, is what's the intention for the business? Well, I, don't, I, I wonder how many business owners actually, and I would love for people to say this, how many of them actually go into it thinking about the exit strategy? Because many business owners that I know, you know, until you ask them that, until you, you know, you in your capacity or you, JR, in your capacity, until you're asking them those questions, they don't really think about it. They think, oh, I've got this amazing idea. It's going to blow up. I'm going to, you know, make all of this money and I'm going to be set for life. And what happens? You know, once your life is over, what, what happens? Where is it? Where is this business supposed to go? Are you keeping it all the way? You know, is it passed on to your kids? That that conversation doesn't happen that, you know, at least my experience with the business owners I've run into um, that that question hasn't been asked. I can, I can collaborate. I can say that's true uh, in my experience as well is that until you have a business session meeting, um, it's very hard to do. It. I mean, most people, I mean, a lot of business owners, if they're established long enough, will be approached about, you know, buy sell agreements or these type of upper level conversations. Um, but the succession planning one is a lot more rare of a conversation because it's not revenue generating for the person having it most of the time. It's like, okay, what am I doing? And it's like, oh, well, <laughs> you hope the business will be around by the time you pass around, uh, pass away. That's a big thing that holds people back from having the conversation. It's like, man, I'm just surviving right now. Things are tough. Yeah. Okay, well, what's next? It's like, let's pretend. Gonna... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's because hey, there's that accountability with the money with that as well. Mm-hmm. And there, and so that's one of the things is that I, you see business owners. I'm one of my very first clients that opened my eyes to this is that you know you can make five hundred thousand dollars in net profit a year as a business owner and have nothing left over. And they go, man, I'm living high on the horse right now. How am I going to continue this later? And that's where, you know, the financial industry rewards savers a lot more than I think it should when it comes to, um, and this may be revolutionary, I don't know, but it's like the people who are investing are, because I'll, I'll differentiate the difference between saving and investing. Just because you're investing doesn't mean you're saving. <laughs> and that's one of those, the key differences there is that liquidity, it's the old saying, it doesn't matter how much you make, it's about how much you keep. Well, having it in the market isn't keeping it because if the market takes, I don't know, a 16% tumble so far this year, you uh, you may be a little shaken to know that your savings isn't as saved as you thought it was. Even though in the long run, it usually works out. 
if you need access to that capital today, it's not as good, right? And so again, to your point, succession planning conversations very rarely happen. I think the focus has been mainly, especially with business owners, the investment portion of it, when a lot of them don't actually have the liquidity to back up those investments. And so that's my two cents on that. Okay. Oh, okay. I was like, I'm muted. Um, yeah, it was a mic drop moment. Um, oh, well, thank you. Here, just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. One of the conversations that we um, we had uh, on Friday, we were talking about this, just looking at, at Pillar 5, because again, um, for most of the people that watch the show, um, we know that there's a challenge understanding what steps I need to take. I'm up at three o'clock in the morning. I'm worried about my business. You know, I'm stressed. I mean, you deal with this with your clients, Natalie, you deal with it with your clients. We, we don't know, or we're, when we're running our own business, it's like, what step do I need to take next? Well, you and I were going through some of those things to just kind of break this down in a more practical way for, for business owners. And I, I, I'd love to, um, we had a conversation about credit last week. Um, and that's one of your specialties. You're like a credit person. And so um, for those people that are just getting into Pillar 5, you're going to see some of these questions out there that ask you about your personal credit score, your business credit score. Um, JR, from your experience as a coach and with that that credit knowledge, how, how does that impact them? You know, what are some of the, the things that they need to be mindful of, especially starting out with um, your your credit and your credit score? So you're talking about, just to clarify, uh, you want it to be this answer towards mostly new business owners, I imagine, yes? Yeah. Okay, cool. And so at the very beginning of your business, there's a big thing that you need to look up. Day one, people go, okay, when I need to start worrying about business credit? And I say day one, Dunn and Bradstreet, you need to get your Dunn's number. Okay. Even though it's going to be zeros, like you just have across the board zeros, you're brand new, you have no uh, trade lines or anything like that. You need to start there and be cognizant that the difference between your personal credit and your business credit is huge. Okay. And the building of the two, a lot of people, uh, especially one of the pitfalls I find later on is that people start treating their personal credit the way they build their, um, the way they build their, what's the word I'm looking for, their business credit. And they're built in two completely different ways. Your personal credit lines, you do need to establish them. At the very beginning, when you're getting your, let's say, net 30 accounts with these companies, or um, if you're really lucky, they like the industry, net 60, net 90, whatever your vendors are willing to do. I mean, some of them are like net zero. They're like, you, you're going to, we're going to report it, but you're not going to have no credit with this. Um, the idea is that you just want to, as quickly as possible, establish as many lines as you can that make sense for your business on the business credit side. And understand your terms are going to suck at the very beginning, and that's okay. And a lot of them, because you don't have business revenue, because you don't have any of these really nice things, they're going to say, okay, who's the business owner and how is their credit? And they'll look at you and they'll go, oh, okay, your credit sucks. <laughs> and so they'll go, oh, no net account for you just yet. <laughs> or they'll say, oh, well, you can buy from us, but you're going to pay, like, we're going to invoice you. We're not going to, uh, and you're going to settle up same day. We're not going to give you as nice of terms. So your personal credit really does impact you at the very beginning. Later on, when you have revenue, a proven track record, other trade lines that say, hey, he's paid me or she's paid me month after month, it becomes less important. But I want to warn you because a lot of people use their, they have credit cards that they use for business. 
It's a recipe for disaster, especially if you're using it to buy uh, inventory at the very beginning. Even though it makes sense, sometimes it's a lot of people fall into pitfalls with their business, um, what they're buying on leverage for their business, not being able to pay off that card at the end of the month, and it takes a personal credit score. And so a lot of people have seen pretty significant drops. I saw um, one of my business partners, uh, we made a move, and this is in one of my side businesses um, that I have a lot of fun with. Um, you know, They say, oh my gosh, we love your credit. You're awesome. They, because the business was brand new, they looked at our credit and say, oh, we want some of that. And, you know, they get pretty excited and they gave us, say, a $50,000 credit line, which was we were excited about. But then when we charged that above 25%, it's attached to our personal credit. So guess what happened when it went over the 50% like hurtful limit on that? And it said, hey, they haven't paid me off yet. My business credit goes, hey, he paid it. It's cool. <laughs> but my personal credit goes, ouch, bro. Why didn't you pay off your card this month like you usually do? And so my business partner saw a much bigger hit than I did on that one, unfortunately. And his credit dropped 40 points in a month. Now, that's hurtful, isn't it? And now, don't worry, we recovered. But the idea is that because we pay our stuff off. But at the same time, you have to be cognizant of this balance. Is that, yeah, that may have been good for my business credit, but it was bad for my personal credit. And so it's just a difference in approach. And you want to be really cognizant of that at the very beginning. And so here's a rule of thumb I always tell you. If you're using your personal credit cards for your business, make sure that you never, ever, 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 ever buy something on credit for your business that doesn't pay itself off really quickly. And so if you aren't rotating your inventory quickly, I don't recommend buying inventory on credit. If you are selling your inventory the second you get it and your only issue is that you need to be able to buy more, okay, cool. But if there's a chance that that statement balance could be huge, it's going to hurt your credit. And so that's why on your personal lines, you never want them to report more than 30%. Um, 30 to 50% is kind of a maximum in this case. If it's above 50%, you're going to start seeing hurtful things on your personal credit. So I'll take a step back. The big key is to start small, scale quick, think big, right? And so the idea is that your business credit can scale very, very quickly if you follow a system and you kind of um, understand what your business needs. And so your personal credit only needs two revolving and one installment to have a decent credit score as long as you're paying your stuff on time, paying your stuff on time, paying your stuff on time, not overutilizing your uh, credit score, not overutilizing your available credit and all that. But on your business side, they go, hey, are you using it consistently? Because if you got a trade line six months ago, but you haven't bought, you haven't bought anything from them for six months, that doesn't help you build your business credit even though that wouldn't be that bad for your personal credit. So it's just a dance. And you have to learn the rules to both sides of this coin because there it's a game. And if you don't know how to play the rule, you don't know the rules of this game, you're going to get got. And so I always tell people, don't get got. Do a little bit of research. The business side is different. Even though Experian has a business credit score and some of these guys do both that are your, um, your repositories, the idea is that it's a different game. And you, on the business side, I almost tell people it's like buying credit as opposed to on the personal side, it's Murphy's Law for getting a home loan. The only way to get a home loan is prove you don't need a home loan. And that's the, the differences there. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, um, hopefully that answers some questions. I love that you refer to it as a game. <laughs> oh, dude, it is a game. <laughs> I think that all the time I had somebody, a real estate agent, get offended by me last week. 
And um, I was like, you must be a sore loser. I told you. <laughs> Competitive. Competitive people don't like that because they then they go, well, I'm losing the game and I don't like that. Well, I mean, it is, it's, it's much more fun when you're winning, of course, but you have to learn how to play the game, game to learn how to win the game. And then once you learn how to play it, you can win. And that's when it really gets fun and exciting. And then you can, right, add all the, you know, buy extra properties on your monopoly with all that other stuff too. That's so. exactly right. And by the way, business credit is a really, I mean, if you're into the real estate game, maximizing your business credit is a huge move that gives you power when other people are struggling. And so, um, just, uh, just a little plug there for any of those guys that like that real estate speculation out there. That's one of those things. You got to master your business credit. If you're going to be a real estate speculator. There's always we do have a few of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just felt like that was one of the conversations that we had, um, that I didn't want us to wait because it's so important and it's, and it has to do with, you know, this is money. This is still something that people don't know enough about, like you said, there are rules to this game that, that you're going to do if you're building a business. And I love looking at it that way. We all love gamifying everything. Um, and I love looking at it that way because I know that there are rules and my favorite games are ones where people will, you know, I'll be able to play those with people, right? They're cooperative. I and mean, that's one of the things that I, I love that we're bringing experts to this show to help people understand the rules to these games. Um, you know, it, it is the game of business. So I, I, yeah, know that you've got to have someone else along to explain these rules to you. It's far faster than trying to learn them all yourself and doing all of those things. We have experts like Natalie and JR and, you know, Patrice and, LeBeau, all of these people that have come to the show are there to help explain some of these rules, break down these concepts so that you're not struggling on this on your own. Absolutely. That's the whole point of this whole thing. <laughs> Absolutely. So, JR, we have just a few more minutes with you. Do you want to maybe uh, share a client testimonial with us or? So I can be the client testimonial for this go around. Um, okay. And so one of the things that you do at the very beginning when you're just getting started in business is I encourage having risk management conversations. What if this happens? What do I do? Do I avoid that risk? Do I transfer that risk? Do I self-insure that risk? And that's one of the biggest things that people don't think about. So me, when I get into business, I was smart enough to be, or excuse me, I was dumb enough to be smart enough to listen to someone who told me a, the right thing to do in this scenario. And so <laughs> ego is the enemy in your business. So don't be <laughs> an egomaniac, you know, it, maybe one day you might have the right to do it, but for right now, just keep it simple and listen to those experts that have walked the path before you. So here's one of the things that happens. You may or may not be aware of one of the reasons why uh, businesses close is because of adverse health health um, some type of medical thing happens to one of the principal owners. That's actually a huge issue in succession planning, all these different things is what happens if the business owner has a heart attack? What happens if um, the person, the main revenue generation ends up having um, some medical thing that takes them out of, um, takes them out of commission? So I'll tell you guys this just to be vulnerable and real. Um, you know, I'm in my thirties. And one of the things that my generation and younger never think about is what if I was to get something that made me not able to make as much money? You know, we don't really ever think about that. And so 
uh, mortality becomes a, a bigger, more obvious thing after we have kids and after we have, um, you know, the, the typical life insurance planning conversations, kids, houses, assets, liabilities. If you're a business owner, you're thinking about being a business owner, or if you're just a person, something that's happening to one in three men, one in four women, I believe, and I, my statistics may be a little off here, is cancer of some kind. Going back uh, a couple weeks ago now, uh, I was actually diagnosed with a form of lymphoma, which that's never a fun conversation, but something that, um, and you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I've told you this, you've probably heard me talk about it on TikTok. People go, man, why are you making less TikToks? Well, because I have less energy than I normally would going through this process. But one thing that gave me peace in my finances is to know that there was a life insurance policy out there that I'd gotten in my 20s um, that today is able to pay me a multiple years amount of money out of the death benefit. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions on this. So talk to your local professional. You can talk to me, uh, Natalie. We all have skill sets in this, right? And so the idea is that the, the heart of it is that the marketing term is called living benefits, life insurance. That can be confusing. But the idea is that it, what the technical term is an accelerated death benefit. And there's three main ones out there, critical, chronic, and terminal. I, I have a policy that has all three and gives great access to the death benefit while I'm still alive. And it doesn't have to be a permanent policy necessarily, but if you're doing some more advanced planning, there are those that have that on there as well. And the cool thing about it is that when you look back, now I have access to my death benefit while I'm still alive now that I have this cancer diagnosis. And whether um, you know it's based on severity, and right now it's looking like I'm going to have access to about 25 to 35% of my net death benefit, today while I'm still alive. And what does this do? It means that I can pay employees without having to worry about it. I can maintain my business. I can pay myself a salary even if I'm not working as much. I can take care of medical bills. I can pay off debts for my businesses to make sure that I don't leave my partners in a pinch. You know, whatever it may be, it's access today to the funds to where I don't have to worry about that in the future. And that gives you a lot of peace of mind. And really one of the things that it reduces is stress when you're thinking about, you know, people get really stressed out about how am I going to pay for these things? And I don't even have the best health insurance policy out there because again, I'm young. I don't feel like I need to, but you know, I'll have all the money for the deductible, all the 20% coinsurances that I need. And I'm still going to be um, covered even in the worst case scenario should happen. And so that's something that I encourage everyone to look into. Just be straight with yourself about like, look, the cool thing is your business can buy this for you. It's not going to be a deduction. I'm sorry. Um, it can be in certain cases, but again, well, this doesn't, we don't have time for finesse. <laughs> We're just going to be real and say most of the time it's not a write-off. And one of the big things that you can do is talk to your professional. If they sell life insurance, this is a big thing to get into and say, hey, does my policy have accelerated death benefits? And then there are policies that are better than others. There's a lot to it, but your professional, as long as they're independent, they're not tied to any one company, they should be able to get you a very high quality product. And honestly, the difference in price for mine was a 5% difference in premium. It was 5% more expensive than the death benefit only policy. And I thank myself for spending that extra 5%. I thank the professional <laughs> that convinced me in my 20s to go ahead and do that so that now I can be in the scenario that I am and go, you know what? I don't have to worry about my liquidity. I don't have to touch my savings. I don't have to touch my retirement. And that is the client testimonial plug of the day. I am the client testimonial in this scenario for this thing. A bunch of my clients actually made fun of me and said, Jared, did you get cancer on purpose so you could be this testimony? I was oh like, 
Oh my goodness, that's so dark. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, <laughs> I appreciate you so much sharing that, especially, you know, it's a recent diagnosis. Yeah, the past um, two weeks is heavy. Yeah, so really appreciate your vulnerability, your transparency with that. You and I actually have the same policies. <laughs> we were talking about earlier. I was like, that's the same one I have too. So that's why I, I was 100 comfortable saying, "Hey, Natalie, me, anyone, we all we have yeah. the same things," and that's the thing. Uh, she's prettier than me, so if you like her more, go talk to her. And if you're down for you know goatee bearded guys, I mean, come on with it, whatever, right? Yeah, but I mean, seriously, how many people are thinking about these types of benefits? Just like you said, in their 30s, we're young we're not thinking about that um luckily you had and had that in place but again we're not thinking most people aren't thinking about that and thinking about how again it could wipe out your business if you could lose your home you could lose everything from this but your life insurance policy is going to take care of this for you as you're going through this and that is just such an yes. amazing and one thing I don't want to not skimp out on and make sure I let everyone know, just because you're in your 40s, your 50s, or 60s doesn't mean you're too old for this. <laughs> yeah. It just increases the need. You need it more the older you get. I mean, what's the statistic? You probably haven't updated one. The last I saw was the average retiree today is going to spend 200000 or more on medical bills alone. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you have a critical chronic or terminal acceleration on your policy, that can help alleviate those bills that are coming, even with the Medicares and the Medicaids and all these things that are out there. Because um, not all supplements are the same. There's a lot to that. Work with a really good professional that specializes in Medicare for that. That's not my gig. But just know that bills do come as you get older. That's right. Awesome. JR, thank you so much for joining yes. us this morning. A lot of fun talking about money and mindset. You are awesome. You have amazing leadership skills. I know that you are going to be going far in your career and great. The best of luck to you too as you're going through your health challenges. Just know that we're thinking about you and rooting for you and wishing you all the best as you're going through that as well. Hey, my pleasure. I'm going to kick cancer's ass. I'm not worried about it. I don't know if I can say that out here, but we're going to kill you know it. What the, yeah. You know what that made me think? Sorry, I meant to say this, but just go back to mindset and JR. How many people, obviously not everybody, but if, if there wasn't money there for some people, would they feel the same drive? Mm, no. And a lot of people, uh, that's one thing I, I constantly think about is it's that they're and that's an initiative I'm actually starting to help people pay their, um, their medical bills um, in conjunction with the purchases of these policies. I'm working out the, just know that there's philanthropy coming on this because not a lot of people are in that scenario. A lot of people, the stress of the medical bills alone can kill them. It's like, it's like, okay, I live, but now I have this debt that is absolutely monstrous, right? And that's one of those things that I think the stress of just paying the money back kills people. And I, that's anecdotal. That's just how I feel about it. I can't confirm that, but I know having stress in treatments is not good for your body. Right. And so that's one of those things that I'm like, stress will kill people just as much as the cancer will. Yeah. And so peace of mind in this scenario is, I mean, I would pay 10 times the policy price that I've paid so far 10 times my premium and I would still pay it knowing that this is what it is. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you to ID systems yes. for today's sponsorship. Do something today that your business will thank you for everybody. Go to pillar five, take your free assessment. We will hopefully see you in the ESC uh, Facebook group for some awesome nuggets. If not, we will see you next Monday on the better your business show. Have a great week, everyone. Hey, thank you. Thank <laughs> you.